This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraus. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Bernal, a dual degree student in the MARC and Real Estate Development programs here at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking with Lyndon Neri and Rosanna Hu, founding partners of Neri and Hu Design and Research Office, in advance of their lecture at the school on October 8, 2018. Neri and Hu was founded in 2004 with headquarters in Shanghai and an office in London. Thank you, Daniel. I'd like my first question to be about uh, diversity. Uh, your firm works with a multicultural staff composed of people that speak over 30 different languages. What do you think the main advantage is of having such a diverse team? How does this translate into your design practice? For us, it is not so much, it was not so much trying to find people with different language skills. It was imperative for us that diversity was key um, in selecting a group of people that see things differently. Um, and so the last 13 years, we have had a number of, be it intern or a number of people who have decided to move to Shanghai because they're quite interested in exploring new ideas um, in, in a fast-growing um, economy and city. And so I think we didn't really plan it, mm -hmm. but I think it's um, extremely advantageous for us um, because you then have many ideas and um, many different opinions. Uh, obviously, the language helps when we started getting different projects from different parts of the world. Well, I think, like Lyndon said, we didn't um, we didn't design it that way. It a, a lot of things that uh, happened and the kind of the state of the office that you see today is really occurred by kind of natural forces behind some of the um, earlier intentions of what we wanted to do. I mean, we set out to be based in Shanghai. Um, it was very purposeful. We set out to do good work. We set out to um, be involved in um, multidisciplinary approach to design. Uh, and then the rest just kind of fell in place. And I think we started the firm at a time when the world was looking at China. Um, maybe not immediately, I would say three to four years after we started. And we found that it was actually easier to recruit from um, an international pool of designers than locally. And then by virtue of having people who come, and many, actually the first set of people, they, they really moved to China for the firm. And we were surprised, and they themselves were uh, pleasantly surprised after they arrived in Shanghai. Many of them you know, told us over the phone uh, interviews that, oh, I'm really scared about moving you know, halfway across the world just for a job. But then many of them have either stayed in China or they have um, taken root uh, and had families there. I mean, you know, the, these things happen. And also it's the same, uh, same thing for people in the city. It's not just our firm. I think the city became kind of this hub for people from all over the world who were seeking opportunities and seeking a, a new way of looking at um, different professions, and that includes architecture. And it was that like nature of that environment that kind of 
that's yeah. why the office is 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 I, I think so. Yeah. But by, but by virtue of being interdisciplinary to begin with, right. you also attract um, a number of different people who have different varying interests. Of course. A product designer thinks very differently from a master planner. And when you do an interior, even be between an interior and an architect, for instance, they think very differently. And by virtue of the fact that we do all these things, uh, allowed um, seemingly very different people, perhaps even within the design field, to come together and force themselves to work together. Right. Mm -hmm. And they realize that they actually have more similarities than difference. Yeah. Mm. That's incredible. Just like breaking down uh, design um, in terms of scale and kind of generating a team that brings a, a nexus of this design thinking. Um, yeah. And, 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 we, and we force people to do this. I mean, yeah. we, I would, I would, they, they would get really nervous. A bunch of architects would come in, in a meeting and I would literally pull a chair and I said, who designed that chair? And they would all look at me like, oh, this is crazy. We know, we know it, we know it. And they might know the brand, but they might not know the designer. Of course. And, and vice versa, uh, a, a bunch of product designers would come to my table and I would say, so who designed this building? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very important for us, that this holistic uh, way of seeing design as a whole uh, becomes part of their the, everyday. Their training in the mm. office, yeah. That's super interesting. And um, just that environment and being in Shanghai, um, I think, is an incredible opportunity to um, kind of break out of these traditional practices and kind of um, engage in and in, involve with other disciplines. Uh, have you worked with uh, other disciplines outside of design or? Actually, we, we have. Uh, it's also a matter of survival. Okay. Right? Um, for us, it was important for us to be interdisciplinary, but at certain point um, of our career, clients who are not very knowledgeable would say, oh, can, do you do uniform design? Oh, since you are so interested in design, why don't you do the graphic component of our menu? Right. And Including naming. We, we've named a lot of restaurants and hotels and uh, well, corporations. And, and it's, it's interesting. It got to a point when a lot of developers now would say, L let me not go to a consulting firm because I'm paying them for a lot of money and of they course. end up hiring architects like you guys anyway. So right. there's actually a revolution in China going on right now where in consulting firms like Boston Consulting, for instance, or even IDEO, they're, okay. they're really nervous because all of a sudden many of these developers Maybe because they're naive, maybe they're not as well informed, but they have this tendency to just say, well, why don't we just go straight to the architects? Right. Why don't we just give them this piece of land and instead of charging us an arm and a leg, why don't we work with them and make them be part of our project? And I think that's an amazing opportunity. So this interdisciplinary is not just a matter of within the field of design, all of a sudden we're involved looking at PL and that, that kind of scares us sometimes because we're like, this is not something we're good at, okay? Right. But we, you learn. Of course. I think there's been a, a lot of discussion uh, here at GSAP um, about uh, architecture specifically being uh, the generalist um, profession in terms of um, engaging with uh, these uh, kind of attempting to solve problems in, in 
new different ways. I just think that that's a certain skill set um, that we as architects, um, soon to be architects rather, um, will kind of push in a certain direction and kind of expand the field to move away from um, understanding um, a building for just a building and understanding that architects uh, have a little bit more agency um, with their capacities and their um, their design uh, knowledge and how that starts to bleed, in, bleed into uh, many different uh, fields around us. Um, I have another question. Um, one of the most, uh, one of the things that I admire the most about your firm um, is your uh, your importance on engaging in research, um, and how does this relate to this conversation about uh, the multidisciplinary approach that you have at your practice? Um, I think the research part also um, is something that derived out of a, necess a necessity to resolve a lot of issues within the projects that we um, were given and are confronted with. Um, and the research isn't all conducted by in-house team. What we do is, depending on the project, we formulate, we, we form a lot of um, kind of um, uh, partners, strategic partners um, who might be experts in the field that we are looking for. So for example, with you know urban issues, we work with um, uh, professors or agencies um, within the university, Tongji University, um, who have been, you know, on the field, who have um, the resources and the know-how and the data to support a lot of the um, findings that we are looking for that would then service our uh, design. And uh, for material, for example, we work with a um, uh, really a one-of-a-kind unique agency in Hangzhou who has collected um, hundreds and possibly thousands of, you know, like handicraft um, uh, know-how and, you know, soon-to-be extinct uh, type of craft um, with craftspeople in remote locations and with a lot of our um, product design uh, projects. We work with them, to, you know, just researching on materials that are possible out there that may not be known to anyone else. So, you know, these type of um, agencies really help us to tap into resources that are necessary for each different project. We were also exposed to a number of international uh, brands early on mm -hmm. um, in our career. So we work with a lot of Italian brands and we realized through that process working with them that there is a history in Italy, the Brianzi area for instance, wherein people who are very good in steel, mm -hmm. in good in leather. So, so they do have their own different specialty. And when you work with them, all of a sudden they involve you with many different consultants, many different specialists. So w w you realize in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, the Italian produced a lot of good architects and product designer from Gioponte to Sozzas to Achil Castiglioni. Um, the list goes on and oftentimes you wonder where are the Italian designers now and where are the architects and I was asking this I was just in Milan and they were saying it's actually very simple 
the Brianzi area and the brands that made all these stars in the 50s have realized that it's not just Italy that they can go to, it's the global world that they can go to to find this pool of designers. So they use their research, the, the wealth of their research to entice great designers to come. So people like Konstantin Grzyk, people like um, the Borelic brothers mm -hmm. would then have this wealth of information and therefore design becomes just that much easier. And we noticed this and we realized how could we transplant this process into the way we do things, not just in products, right. but also in interior and in architecture and, and hopefully even, you know, um, in a bigger scale. I think that's a really beautiful way to kind of uh, think about um, engaging in a practice, kind of removing borders, um, especially in today's political climate here in the United States. I'm wondering, uh, when, you, when you do a lot of material research, um, like, uh, kind of specialized crafts and uh, practices and materials that may be um, not as common today? Or how do you incorporate, the, incorporate that um, in your design without it being, um, how do I say this? Like, like in, 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 the, in like North Africa, we would see a lot of Orientalism taking place in terms of kind of just like copycatting or kind of making it very cliche, if you will, how do you approach that? Uh, that's part of the lecture. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's the reason why abstraction is very important. Okay. Uh, the conceptual framework that um, revolves around our work, I think without resorting to a one-liner or a cliche, I think that is very dangerous. And, and that fine line, we have to be very careful. So right. we're constantly questioning ourselves as well, because yeah. it is easy. It is easy to resort to a thematic way of approaching, especially with interior design, right. uh, even in architecture, of I course. think. And often when you do something that's more thematic in product design, it sells. Right. Um, but does it last? That's another story. And I'd want to know um, kind of uh, where you went to school and um, if you could expand on how that um, kind of led uh, to a certain foundation for your firm or kind of what you learned in school that um, kind of propelled you to uh, design your firm to be the way that it is? I'll take a stab on that first. And <laughs> I'm sure Rosanna ever did. Well, we, we started in the same place. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we're fortunate enough um, to have started at Berkeley, both of us. Mm -hmm. And, um, different times. Different. <laughs> She's older than me. Um, Obviously. <laughs> but then I think we went to different master's program. I went to the GSD. Okay. And uh, she went to Princeton. A and I think there's a good balance uh, with that because I think there's a lot of emphasis at the GSD about the making of things. Uh, I was there during the Raphael Manet all time. So it's about sort of tectonics and about the expression of how things are put together. <laughs> and I'm sure Rosanna. And, and that's Rosanna is extreme, we, Rosanna that's is extremely critical. That's not what we learned critical. at Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> Rosanna is extremely critical. So um, she often says that I'm the additive one and she's the reductive one. So okay. she's constantly taking a lot of things. You know, I would draw and, you know, she would always say, that you know, just you're just a four maker. I just, <laughs> I just cross things out. <laughs> so I actually worked for... Um, 
uh, Moneo Brock this summer. Mm. So it's mm. Rafael Moneo's daughter. Mm. And um, um, they both went to, Jeff and Belen both went to GSAP. Mm. And I just think it's interesting mm. that there's this, uh, uh-huh. you know, but I think uh, today's institutions um, have a lot to learn from one another. Mm. Um, so it leads me to my final question, um, which is, uh, what is something that you feel should be taught um, in an architectural education institution today that you've learned from your practice or your time being in school? Um. I think two things for me. Um, one, um, the importance of concept and meaning in the projects you do. Um, people tend to be, or at least the younger generation tend to be a little bit expedient in the way they want to get things done or get published and oftentimes the work is not as rigorous as we would like it to be. Um, and and I think the second one and more importantly is, is to be engaged and that's the reason why I think Colombia is in an amazing place because it's in a city and therefore the city is in many ways an experimental factory a place that people can actually see things getting built from an urban point of view, from an architecture and from an interior point of view. Um, there's this intensity and you know, you're exposed to um, the everyday, the, the real sort of built environment. And, and I think, so I, I'm, I'm expressing two different issues, one being very conceptual, which is right. important, but the other one also being very practical. Um, and, and I think it's important to have that balance because um, if you don't even, I, I remember when I came out of school, I can't even, you know, draw how big of a toilet. I mean, I can have all the con- concept and this beautiful diagram, but, you know, I, I didn't really know how to make a plan work. Right. And architecture is, I think, meaningless if that doesn't work. Yeah, I think, think? Um, I think history and theory Okay. Definitely has to be the foundation of your education. That's a very Princeton and, answer, and, <laughs> and, and and it is a very Princeton answer. But that uh, that came out of you know having had four years at Berkeley, where I'm not saying they don't teach history and theory, but they teach <laughs> they teach history and theory in a very very different way, mm. and particularly theory. I think there is a way of teaching theory that will help the design process as opposed to you know, making it become like a social science, for okay. example. And, um, and I think at Princeton, that's what they really prepared you for, is to teach you how to think critically so that you can design critically. Right. Um, and then the history part, I think, you know, it sets a foundation. We, we need to know where we come from to know where we will go. Um, but then, on the other hand, I, I also totally agree with the approach of learning through practice. But I would say, um, you know, the kind of, I, I would love to bring back, you know, the, the old school uh, internship program. Um, I, I, I know a lot of schools used to have it, and then uh, for some reason or another, they disappeared. Uh, but not in the corporate setting. I think in the corporate setting, yeah, you know, you, you, you can do that later on. Um, anyone can find a job and you can just, you know, do the corporate thing if you, if that's your choice. But I think to have the kind of, um, you know, experience and practice in a small workshop type of, even carpentry, even, you know, be a bricklayer uh, or a sculptor's office, 
or uh, studio. Um, these type of, I think, real live practice uh, would really benefit an architect. Actually, on that note, it's interesting. I, I was visiting um, um, Studio Mumbai's office, okay. um, Bijoy, and he had two, three people working for him um, at that time when I visited him. And um, he said, this is my family. And there were four or five other people that were doing um, different objects. Um, and, said, and he was basically said, there's no difference. The people who are doing pots for me are also my bricklayers, and they're also architects. So they're drawing, but at the same time at night, they were laying bricks. And late at night, they were cooking dinner for us. Right. You know, and it was, it was an interesting sort of phenomena, and he treated them literally like family members. But um, you, you can kind of see in these kids, I mean, time seems to be not a factor for them. They just thoroughly enjoy being in that compound, right. building things, drawing, making things. Um, and I was thinking to myself, how fortunate to be in that situation. Of course. Mm. That's incredible. Um, well, I'd like to thank you very much for your time, and I'm looking uh, forward to the lecture. And uh, thank you for coming to GSAP. Yeah, thank, thank you for having sure. us. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.